John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltickup. This is the High Gain Podcast. Totally High Gain, Ed. Yeah, where do we record from, John? A beautiful basement in beautiful West Seattle. I love it. I love getting down in this basement with yeah. just me and you yep. together. Yep. No one else looking looking over at us, eyeballing us. Covert. Wondering, wondering <laughs> what the hell's going on. Yeah, we got a guest today, John. Uh, we do? Yeah. That guy sitting over there? Yeah. Who do we got? That's going to be awesome. Yeah. We got a guy, I don't even know how to describe this guy. Okay. He's got two arms. Yep. Two legs, feet, Great. And hands. Great. And a head. Normal guy. Normal guy. And the guitar we're doing today? Yeah. He made it. Oh, okay. That fuzz I just turned on? Yeah. He made it. Shut up. It's Ernie. Ernie Bailey of Wire Instruments. Hey, all. Hi, Ernie. <laughs> Hello, Ernie. How was that intro? Did you love it? It was... It came in hot. <laughs> we don't have a safety net over here. We just nope. fly without a net, and that's what you get. All right? Yeah, Shit yeah. like that. That's a pretty green guitar. This is a green burst Karina two-piece guitar that Ernie calls the Concord 6. Okay. You want to hear what it sounds like, it? I do. Your love is Then I've ever been lifted before. Beverages. Beverages. I got a Bedford's cream beer out of Port Angeles, Washington. Cream beer? Yeah. Cream soda? No, just cream beer, it says. Sweetened with pure cane sugar. So Big Corn is not in on this. Oh, fuck no. Those dudes. You think Big Corn's getting a piece of my cream beer? Not No. I have the same brand. It's a ginger ale. Oh, okay. What about you, Ernie? What do you got? I'm working on a triple cola. It says, drink it for vim and vigor. So <laughs> That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be like triple jacked, Ernie? If this yeah. is like triple cola? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. 
two pickups, a selector switch, tone and volume, and a tremolo arm. And that is about as baseline as it comes because there's a lot more on here. Okay. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's see. The top switch up there is typical for like a Gibson Marble switch. Yep. Does the neck, middle, and the treble. And I do this from time to time. That middle spot, I'll wire out of phase. Oh. I built that one for myself. And I don't run the two pickups together ever for anything right. other than that kind of sound yeah. like I love it. Yeah. The two blade switches down below, they're like the three-way blades like you'd find on a Stratocaster or a Telecaster. Yes. Yep. So the two pickups that are in there are made by a guy named Pete Biltoft, and it's based on an idea that I saw that Lindy Fralin had. He did a humbucker where one coil is pretty hot, kind of like a Strat or a Tele pickup, and then the other coil is actually underwound. So you still wind up with like a relative output to like a PAF. But what's great about it is that when you go into coil tapping, like when you have a switch, you turn one off, it makes that single coil actually comparable to the output of a humbucker. So that switch down there, the bottom one, I'm sorry, it's the one on the top, the one just above it. The rear position on that is humbucker, humbucker. Uh, you move to the middle spot, humbucker bridge, and a single coil on the neck. And then all the way forward in the third position is two single coils. So it goes from humbucker, humbucker to like a super strat. Humbucker, humbucker single. single. Yeah. And then you're getting like a telecaster in the forward position. So forward on the lower one, what am I doing here? All the way back in the first position is just a standard tone control. The tone knob works and it functions. Got it. You slide it forward. It's similar to the capacitors that were in the Gretsch guitars for the great Gretsch sound. It's right. a high pass circuit and a low pass circuit. Tremolo, right? Yes, we're using Matt Wright's new pedal, the Tremolo. I've got the lower blade switch forward into that Gretsch kind of mode. I'm super into it. Give me some, uh, some more single coily sounding. Bottom switch all the way to the back, the top yep. switch all the way forward. Uh, ooh, okay. Yes. And then out of phase in the middle, and there you go. Uh-oh, I'm ready. Sputtery. that what is that fuzz pedal that is based on one of the circuits built by a guy named pepe rush in 1966 he built a fuzz pedal for the beatles that was used on the revolver album and it was called the rush pep box his first version was a germanium version and then he did a second one that was silicon and so i guess i spend a lot of time on these pages where people talk about all these circuits yeah. it's kind of almost like being on cooking forums you know where like you're looking at chefs and stuff but we're working with transistors and sound instead ed's a big cooker love it love it no no <laughs> yeah me neither nope ernie was yeah is great was yeah ernie great. had a vegetarian yeah. cafe ed i'm into the vegetarian food yeah it was up on green lake ages ago what was the name of it? It was called The Living Room. I remember I used to go back and forth between Spokane and Seattle a lot. We'd stop at Ellensburg at this place called The Valley Cafe. And it was kind of like you'd go into the front doors and it was like you'd step into the 1920s. Sure. And so we wound up doing that with that place. Probably not something you'd see a lot of like vegetarian places doing yeah. for the culture that I was in at the time in our 20s. Right. People dug it. It's kind of a fun, weird place. Hang out. Yeah. yeah. So the pet box. <laughs> 
He was talking about the fuzz. Yeah. So is this the silicon or the germanium version? I went with the silicon, and for a number of reasons. I was listening to examples on YouTube of the original ones and just thought the silicon sounded way better. But also when you're working with silicon transistors, they're so consistent and so stable, and then right. they're very easy to work with a DC power supply. Ultimately, I like the sound of the silicon a lot better. It was just sort of raunchier and just weirder. I really love the sputter. Ed knows I no, love I'm, the sputter. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. You started in guitar repair, guitar setup kind of stuff. How did you get into pedals? A lot of people seem yeah. to do that path. Mm -hmm. To me, they seem like so disparate. Growing up out in the middle of nowhere, you take everything apart. That's right. just one of the things that a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that I took the first big muff I had apart, but it's more than likely like when you have a repair shop, you know, in a music store or something like that, where you've got guitars coming in all day, eventually there's going to be a broken pedal that's going to wind up on your bench saying, hey, I know this yeah. is not what you do, but any chance you can fix this. And a lot of those chops will apply because usually it's stuff that's related to the human wear and tear. Like knobs get stomped on and it'll right. bust the pots or the jack will be loose and it'll tighten it and a wire will come loose. So it's typically really simple stuff that'll yeah. get the stuff back up and running. And as soon as you fix one, then you have a reputation of being able to fix them. So right. the stuff keeps <laughs> showing up. And then when you finally find something that you can't fix, it's up to you to say, well, I don't want to do it. Or I want to go down yeah. this path of discovery to figure out like, right. what don't I know yet? Cool. So what are the controls on this buttery boy? Just a gain and a volume. The gain's pretty strange because it changes its characteristics so much through there. Like it goes from being kind of a high gain weird thing to this really bizarre synth. It almost sounds like one of those, remember those push buttons on those crazy old keyboards that your grandma had at home? Yeah. There's like one setting on there that is probably my favorite that does just that. It's just bow, 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 bow. The first one's a gain? Yeah. Dime it and see what you get there. There it is. <laughs> Roller coaster. Oh. <laughs> it feels like it's the kind of guitar that you could take into a studio. That was the idea. You could take it yep. into a studio, just one guitar, or maybe even yep. just take one guitar to a gig yep. and not have to switch to get different sounds. And I would say too, that out of the stuff that I built, I wanted to make something that people weren't terrified of. Like you don't have to wear a spacesuit to, to walk on stage with it. Could you, if you wanted to though? <laughs> Yes. Okay. It's allowed. The headstock. Mm -hmm. I dig the headstock a lot. What's the story there? You know, you got to pick out a headstock. Like, what's your headstock going to look like? And there was a split in the road maybe in the 80s where a lot of builders went to a, just a completely functional, sensible headstock. And that started the end of really crazy, weird headstocks. Yeah. So I wanted to do something that was asymmetrical, bizarre. But the more I thought about it too, I like the idea of doing like a basic fender construction modular style neck. But if you're gonna do six in line, then you need string trees. And I think that for somebody who works as a repair person or works in this field, string trees have always been the enemy. It's a right. point of contact where they cause tuning problems. And it was a great solution to that manufacturing problem. But if you can get those smaller strings, the high strings to go down at a sharp angle, then you don't need that anymore. And this is not a headstock that tilts back. Right. So 
I was thinking that if you got a sharper angle as the string got smaller, you're going to get more downward pressure. Right. So it's slotted, but it's only slotted for the high strings to get that angle. That is crazy. I just thought it was kind of an aesthetic thing. I just thought like, oh, that's interesting because it's asymmetrical and cool that way. But there's actually form and function. I had reasons. It's great. I did that and walked away from it thinking, wow, that's one of the coolest things that has ever happened in the course of doing this. And then about three, four years into making this, I saw that there was an Australian builder in 68 that did it for like a hot minute. <laughs> and it was probably something that everybody threw rocks at and right. it just vanished. It looks great. Yeah. And there's a metal badge here with your logo on it. Wire Instruments. It says Wire Instruments. I think I was looking for just coin designs on Google Images and I ran across this coin. It was like from the Olympics in the early 70s. Like one of the teams had that as their logo and it was a spinning saw blade that oh. also has like a Sputnik kind of oh. satellite ah. attached to it too. And I thought that's everything that this company is all about. It's yeah. this weird space age woodworking. I think he's into the Russians. Ed. That's what I'm hearing, comrade. Oh, <laughs> we get it. <laughs> nice guitar, comrade. Okay. It's yep. true. <laughs> yep. A ton of guitars that came out more in the like late 50s mm -hmm. into the early 60s there is so much space theme it's crazy so like that's great that that's actually got like a sputnik theme kind yeah. of you know that's where my head was at as a kid my first guitar was an explorer still i think that's like my baseline of what a guitar should feel and sound like oh, yes cool. and so when i started up wire instruments the very first model that i came out with was this thing called the sleepwalker there were a couple guitars back in the 70s that had this h shape to yep. it one was the sardonics that the guy in the plasmatics had the guy in heart right. had one and john lennon had yeah. one. and bunker did one and i think that there was another one too um but i was always so interested i thought it looked like this stanley kubrick kind of a thing like if he made guitars that's what it would look like <laughs> it's got some star wars vibes too but yeah, yeah 2001 if you think about the flying v being available in 1957 it's that, crazy that could be yep. played on stage with patsy klein that was totally possible I feel like people were just used to the Telecaster and kind of Les Paul shape, and that's a guitar. Even to this day, I feel like people are still a little closed about guitars that are different. Well, and they had to go so far outside the industry to even get those designs. The guy that designed those was working for the Checker Cab Company. He was designing taxi cabs. Right. Ray Dietrich? Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking all kinds of Ed. Yeah. <laughs> I even like the control plate on here. Instead of it being kind of curved, it's just a rectangular block yep. that covers up the knobs and the switches. It's great. There's so much stuff that's super thought out. Like you've got the elevated pick guard that's hovering yeah. and, and all these lines. And then you just put that on there. It's just yeah. kind of a statement. Fender in the day when they were very curvy, it's got that mm -hmm. design aesthetic. And then like that yeah. plate is just uh -huh, like, uh -huh. oh, let's put a little Soviet brutalism oh, in here. Oh, we get you, comrade. <laughs> we understand. I don't think there's any escaping it, Ernie. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I knew it. Yeah. I knew I should have stepped in here. <laughs> How's that borscht? <laughs> <laughs> nice how many of these do you crank out like in a given year over at the commune yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> you know i'll do i try to do batches of around six or so at a time and uh -huh. i am honestly lucky if i make 10 to 20 a year because my main gig has really been touring and 
I always wanted to have like a main gig so you didn't have to build guitars where you're taking custom orders and you get somebody who asks you to do a color or something on it that you just would dread. Right. I've decided to be just really stubborn with design and color and all this stuff. And like, it is what it is. Yep. It goes out that way. And I think that one of the prices that you pay for that is that it's wise to have a steady day job because <laughs> there's like these weird times of the year where you will sell almost everything you've got in one ah, month. And yep. then half the year will be really quiet. I've never right. seen like a, a normal rhyme of reason with this line of work. Huh. So I spend a good chunk of my year on the road and when you get these small breaks, then you attack it during that time. So you tour as a guitar tech. Mm -hmm. How much of what you learn on the road with an act do you put into the design of your own guitars? Part of having that job, and I think the people that do well at that job, they have like this hyper-focused sense. They're like terrified of something failing or like malfunctioning or whatever. So you tend to invest a lot of time in making sure that all your systems are really bulletproof. And it's something that comes home with you too when you're building stuff. Is like you got to make something that just cannot have any potential flaws, you right. rebuild things. And I think that it's something that players respond to as well. I've got plenty of cheap, funky guitars that I've had and still have over the years. They're great, but I still love the feel of the American hardware that we grew up with, CTS pots, right. scrap jacks and all that kind of stuff. It's just something that's super familiar and romantic about it that I like to build into these things. So right now you've got this guy, the green one, and then is that the line you have right now? Like, is there a stockpile of those sitting in a warehouse? At I've got, I think, seven more of those in production. I really didn't want to do anything that was obviously inspired by other things, but I do have kind of a history and an association with the offsets and have always loved the shape of it. So I did ultimately wind up with one that was called the DC-9 that's kind of in that Jaguar Jazzmaster realm, but it's also kind of gone somewhere so weird and different like i've tried to take it to like the zz top place oh. you know where it's got like a zebra wood top and binding all around it oh that's great viewers should really go to wireinstruments.com the pictures of these things are astounding they're gorgeous so you said 10 a year i'd say it's probably between 10 and 20 i'm not cranking them out yeah sometimes you wonder like do you occasionally get a customer who just likes to fuck with you? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and, and so I just don't want to go there. Like, I just yeah. rather just yeah. make something. <laughs> yeah, I think it definitely takes some pressure off. Like, you can concentrate on just making the thing. It's like if it's one way to keep that job fun to where you never want to walk away from it, that's maybe the biggest goal right, right there. Right. It's like, what are the things you love about doing this? And let's try to keep those things. And you've yeah. kept it real personal that way. It's just you. There's not like some staff or something. No, just me. I do have a guy, Dave Nelson, who's doing the painting now. I used to do my own painting and it was out in my garage with Polly. And I don't do like the relic stuff because I'm just a fan of you actually play the guitar and you put your own nicks and dings in it. Yeah. I grew yeah. up in this era where, you know, you go into a music store and there were like these shiny, beautiful new guitars. Yeah. And that's just what I envisioned. Yeah. Love old guitars that are beat up, but it's how about you just play the guitar and it'll get a scratch or a ding on it and yeah i think i, like I once that. had a, a pink relic strat and it was really it was beautiful <laughs> looking but i looked at it like this sort of suggests that i don't have time to play it sure right but it's affordable ed do you know who plays these i don't can i hot seat you uh, oh god yes here's a case okay we're both the guitar player and the bass player are playing wire instruments this song i'm gonna play you yeah 2016. Oh, my today music is not great. This is called Dirty Rat. Ooh. Do you know who it is? I think I might. 
Is that the Drove? The who? The Drove? No. <laughs> who is that? <laughs> they are originally from Buenos Aires, now residing in Bilbao, Spain. Ah, okay. Capsula. Uh, it is Capsula. I don't know Capsula. Uh, the guitarist and bass player yeah. are, are a couple. Okay. Martin Guevara and Connie Duchess. Okay. Connie plays mm-hmm. the bass. Hers is like a yellowish, greenish, sparkly. His is a red, sparkly. Yeah. His I've... is not the Concord. Yeah, it was the early DC-9. How am I just getting this? There's a DC-9. There's a Concord 6. They're all planes? Well, oh. another model is called the Super Collider. Yeah, okay. But is that the idea with the Concorde and the DC-9? Yeah, I think flight's is... always been in there. My uncle was one of these guys who worked for NASA. Like when you see these documentaries about people in the control room, he was one of those dudes. Oh, okay. engineer. And so I think like growing up, you know, I always sort of daydreamed about what his life was like and working on this kind of stuff. Did you think you might go that way? I think it was 100% guitars. I, I just really? knew I'd be doing oh. something with guitars. I guess it was just always there. I'd done other things, but it was always something you came back to. I always had a repair shop in the house, at uh, least. Every once in a while, you hear about the person that has a vision at a very young age, and uh, then you see them when they are much older, and they're actually and doing that's it. That's doing. great. Yeah. That's awesome. It's kind of a trip, because I remember when I was a kid, I used to build models like crazy, and they were like monster models or dinosaurs, occasionally yeah. a battleship or something. Right. And I had them all over my room room and would get really into painting them and it was my thing and i remember one day i went to my mom and said i really want to get an electric guitar but they're kind of expensive and my friend rick saunders found that i've been as explorer and it was like 200 bucks which in 78 for a 13 14 year old was (laughs) a lot of money that is a lot of money yeah Yeah. Yeah. for a kid who had right three dollars right so you know i tried to i think figure out a lawn mowing schedule or something (laughs) where I could get an advance uh-huh. on it. Right. And, and my mom, I think, kind of rolled her eyes like, well, you've always been into this one thing. Uh, I don't think it's really like you to take an interest and then just abandon it. But right. you never know. And this is a commitment. So she struck a deal with her sister that her sister would buy all of my models for 200 bucks. <laughs> so it was kind of like this thing. If you're wow. really committed to this, you have you'll to give up everything for it. And now you got to remember that it was different when I would go over to my aunt's house because her kids love to destroy all the toys <laughs> oh, on oh, Christmas oh. Day. Like they would create these battle scenes. And so you knew that by selling these, they were gone. Wow. They were going to get burned. And like, is that in fact what happened? Totally. There's chickens out in the yard and like the chickens wearing like the Planet of the Apes, you know, head. <laughs> and like, oh man. But in a wow. way, it was getting from here to there. It was saying goodbye to your former life, and this is your new one. So right. I, I got this explorer, and that is some next level parenting. So thing. grateful, amazing, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it worked. Like yeah, that's right. awesome. I got a small world anecdote for you. We're ready. Okay, so in a past life, I was an art professor, and part of that meant that you got to have graduate students as assistants. Mm-hmm. I had this one graduate student who was from the Northwest. Her name was Leslie, and I met her husband. And then when we moved back to Seattle, a woman was going to take our apartment. Her name was coincidentally also Leslie. Leslie that I knew, I had her husband pose cleaning the apartment up because on one side of his ass, he had a tattoo of a heart that said Leslie on it. And I took a whole bunch of Polaroids of him, like cleaning the oven, scrubbing out the sink, all of that. And then I hid the Polaroids in the apartment. And then we moved. So when the new Leslie moved in and found them, I imagine she was pretty surprised. But that guy. That guy with Leslie tattooed to his ass. 
is Rick Saunders. Shut the front door. Yeah. How crazy is that? That is so great. And in preparation for this, I pinged him last night. Ah. He says he doesn't remember exactly the story, but he says that he thought it was a strat that he found by a dumpster. It was definitely an Ibanez Explorer, um, and it had belonged to, I think it was a friend of his. Between the two of them, they found this thing. In that small <laughs> world, John and I are both friends with Rick. And we had set this interview up. We did not know the connection. I had no idea. Until last night. I found it on the um, web. That's crazy that you have a story with Rick Saunders from 1978? Maybe 77. That is like probably the weirdest little crazy connection I think we've had on this show. Years later, I wound up moving up to Spokane, and in the course of my early 20s, I knew a guy who had a vintage clothing store, and then another gentleman who was dating a friend, and those two were brothers, and it later turns out that Rick discovered that they were his biological brothers. <laughs> Rick Saunders? Staunch communist. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Talk to me about that tremolo. Oh, yeah. That is a Stets Bar 2 made by Eric Stets in New York. Not only does it look amazing, but the whole concept behind it is great because the bridge is essentially mounted on this plane that is transported on these nylon rollers. So the whole thing slides towards the nut and slides back versus like a Strat Tremolo, the back of it lifts up and right, which is all fine and great, but it's just a different way of doing it. It sounds different. It performs different. It's just got a really unique kind of a subtle feel. It's kind of like a Bigsby, but more stable. More stable than a Bigsby? Is that possible? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, it's no uh, Floyd Rose. Yeah, what is? Listen to that, man. And this thing's got a big boy neck on it. Mm -hmm. I grew up playing guitars with kind of wide necks. I built that one for myself, so that one's got a real baseball bat on it. Yeah. It's great. So do you find yourself just going in the garage or the workshop? Do you just, is it meditative where you just sit and kind of zone out and build a guitar or? You know, Dave Bunker is an old friend of mine. He had a lot of this uh, flame and figured maple that he had been cutting down and milling and selling. And so I wound up just buying everything he had. And so I find that now I go out into the garage and it's almost like this library where the books are. Right. Yeah. You could actually spend all day in there just looking at these incredible patterns of wood. Uh -huh. Yeah. That is with both switches back. Let's put them both forward. So okay. Pins out a bit. Have you made any pedals besides fuzz? I've done some overdrives, but yeah, I try to stick into distortion. I think it's just fascinating. Yes. Yeah, you start getting into echoes and things like that. It's just a whole different. Those are the two sides over here. John is fuzz land and I'm spacey noise. So you just got off the road. Still technically on it. This has been about a two year touring cycle for an album. So uh, wow. a lot of road. Been home for about a week. I head back out next Friday to Canada and then the Dominican Republic, all over the place. When you tour like that, how often do you get stops that you can spend two days in? Well, last year it was the traditional, you get in a bus, you come home in about a month. 
And this yep. year it's been more fly dates where you're playing on the weekend. So you might do three, four shows on the weekend. Yeah. And you're home on Monday through Wednesday, which means right. a lot of time in airports. <sighs> you know, each style of touring has its yays and its nays. Right. I always wonder what people do with the little downtime they get at or around a venue. If you have an hour. Oh, man. Who goes and takes a nap? Right. Who says, well, I'm going to walk around and explore this neighborhood. And who says, I'm fucking hungry. I got to go get a pizza or like Tacoma Dome. Like, oh, great. I get to go wander <laughs> around the Tacoma Dome. Then just like, ugh. that's a real thing out there. Sometimes the venues are in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, oh. but it never hurts to get your sleep because it's not a job where you're working an eight hour day. The days are 16, 18 hours long. Right. And sometimes like in this style of touring, you might finish up a show, packing it up. You're done by midnight back to the hotel in an hour and then you're up at four to head to the airport yeah and so you are looking wherever you can to stitch your sleep together right i picture there's like this camp of musicians who will just play anything in garbage condition and just wouldn't care yeah a lot of the people you have toured with have they been like oh it's got to be laser focused the more like seasoned players out there yeah. i've seen them just pick something up and just walk straight on stage with it. They haven't changed the strings. Like, yeah. They'll show up with something that they found at a pawn shop like a half hour before the right. show. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And it gets handed to you a second before they walk on stage. It's like, yeah, I'm playing it no matter what. So he's like, okay. Do you have a preference? Like if you were going to work with one of those two? Oh, I'd take the laid back all day long. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I know I've been yeah. offered jobs for people who are highly OCD and I usually yeah. pass on those because it's just too much. You have to have a specific brand of battery that's been, Ugh. you know, dragged <laughs> down to 8.7 uh. volts every day. Yeah. You don't want that job. Yeah. Do you still do repair here in Seattle? Not much. I do it occasionally for friends, right? but I've stopped taking in repair work just because I've got so much stuff that I need to finish guitars that are in progress what's next any new models i've got some other designs that are pretty far out and i'd really like to get back into the really bizarre stuff and do something that's uh, probably stranger than anything great yeah hammer and sickle ed yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect <laughs> yes what else john well we should probably tell people where to go and such you got wireinstruments.com Yep. Mm -hmm. You got wire instruments on the Instagram, right? Yeah. And Instagram is probably the most like up to the moment. Usually if I finish something, whether it's a pedal or guitar, I'll post it on there. So for us, Ed, yeah. if you don't want to talk about boner pills. I love talking about boner pills. No, he doesn't. No. No taking of ads. No. So you can go to patreon.com slash the high gain. Great. You could subscribe to this podcast. Yeah. And then what? And then... We don't have to talk about boners that's right. we and don't. mattresses. That's right. Are you okay with that? Yeah. I'm cool with it. Ernie's okay. Ernie's cool with Great. it. Great. I think this was fantabulous. We did a really good job today, John. I like the positive affirmation. <laughs> I have to do that every week with John. Yeah. You did really great, John. Yeah. You yeah. did really good. I, I get lonely. I get sad. <laughs> right. I start questioning things. Right. It's just... Uh, it's Ernie. Perfectly normal. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. did really good, too. Thank yeah. you. I think for, for a guy coming in <laughs> off the street like you did, yeah. you did great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's appreciated. Okay. Well, Ernie, thank you very much for coming. Right on. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah. you very much for spending the time and walking us through the stuff. And I love all of it. We love it. We love uh, it. The high gain on Instagram. Oh yeah, we should, yeah, and Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Twitter too. Patreon, LinkedIn, thehighgain.com. Thehighgain.com. Yes. Yeah. You can, you can send it. us a mail at thehighgainpod at gmail.com. Yep, and you can tell us uh, where to get off. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot, Ernie. Thanks for having me over. Wire Instruments. 
Wire, com. Wireinstruments.com. Great.